0: we may have a few people we'll say so uh so we're live now so uh thank you everybody for tuning in to uh, another author chat on my booktube channel uh today i have the amazing sir john Gwen uh joining me today uh john
1: how are you doing today yeah i'm doing very well thanks david great to be here thanks for the invite Good.
0: yeah absolutely so uh so you you've had most of the day to to, to kind of pitter around have you
1: gotten any writing done today uh, not much writing done today, no though no, um it's Sunday's kind of a family day, so we've been we had a had a nice big lunch together uh, just watched a bit of t v hung out um caught up on some social media this morning, but I'll get back into some writing tomorrow
0: I gotcha yeah i uh i I tried to get caught up on some social media this morning, and, man it's uh you just never know what you're going to get like on twitter <laughs> and i think a lot of the stuff right now is like all this uh, all the stuff about hugos and worldcon and uh i'm trying, i'm trying to find a light at the end of the tunnel
1: <laughs> yeah i try not to I just, it is what it is isn't it you yeah. know i don't like to get sucked into those um are they're, they're like rabbit holes aren't they you know i just uh, i think it's a good place to, to chat to like like-minded people and um that's what i try and, and stick to rather than getting Absolutely. sidetracked
0: yeah yeah getting in those little black holes
1: no they're
0: really not and, and you know based based on my interactions with you for the better part of a couple of years i mean uh you, you seem to be a pretty pretty bright spot on twitter so uh it's all it's always nice to to see what you've got to chat about or share so uh
1: I've, oh. a, I've really enjoyed following you and interacting with you on there. I'm oh, pleased you're saying that. I mean, I'm I'm am I'm a bit of a social media dinosaur. I don't really know what I'm doing. <laughs> I just you know I, I try to um, answer messages, to post updates, on what's going on with writing stuff, and that's that's about as much as I can handle. <laughs> yeah,
0: I mean, it's uh, it's it's really difficult to keep up with everybody. you you want to you want to follow as many people as you can and interact with many people as you can, but I mean. I, I feel like I used to could do it, but now with a baby, like I sit there and scroll and I, I it's just like mindless at this yeah. point. Like I, I don't, I don't know what to stop on, what to actually read.
1: <laughs> I don't know. It can be a time sink on it. But you know, it's, I think it's a good thing as well. You, you, you meet some cool people and have some good chats. So, so yeah, it's, uh,
0: yeah. It's, it's, it's got its pluses and minuses. Yeah. It, it kind of balances out sometimes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, uh, kind of first off, um, I want to know who, who is John Gwen. How, how did he become the writer who he is today? Uh, you know, what, what sort of things did you do growing up that, you know, maybe we're out of the norm or we're very normal for you.
1: <laughs> okay. Um, well, I'm John Gwynn. Um, I, I uh, my dad was in the RAF. So I spent a lot of time as a, a kid moving around uh, every three or four years, probably we'd move from, you know, one place to the next, uh, i was born in singapore because my dad was stationed out there at the time and then we then when we moved back it was mostly in the uk um but like i say moving once every 3 or 4 years until he retired because he took early retirement um uh in the south coast of england and uh that's where i i kind of found my roots really when i was about 15 or 16 so that's where i spent most of my time um and I, you know nothing too exciting i guess you know the normal thing college i did a bit of traveling um went to uni a bit later than normal but um studied uh, a b.a in sociology and sports went on did a uh, a masters in that um got married had children the usual stuff you know um as far as writing goes, i didn't i came i was very late to writing i was always i was always a fantasy um geek lover nerd from as back as far back as i can remember uh, i've got a very clear memory actually of when um of a teacher when i must have been seven or eight something like that and um our teacher sat us down and started reading the book and it was the book of three by lloyd alexander i don't know if you're familiar with that but um mm-hmm. it, it's um it's really about kind of welsh celtic mythology and a classic um fantasy novel within that but that's that's what hooked me on fantasy and after that my sister was always giving me books um and she loved me the hobbit and it's a slippery slope from there you know right yeah Yeah. so but i didn't actually start writing um until i was uh late 30s something like that mid to late 30s and i just picked it up as a hobby because my daughter harriet she's um She's profoundly disabled and while while I was doing my master's, she just, um, she went through a very ill patch and it was just pretty tough at home. So I stepped out of um, studying and teaching at that time to just lend a bit of help at home. And it just um, kind of stuck like that. So I ended up writing as a, a bit of a hobby, you know, a bit of a kind of bit, bit of me time, I suppose. Because mm-hmm. going from working full time to then, um, being at home all the time. It's, uh, it's just, bit, you know, the four walls and all that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I just started writing as a hobby. Um, we started up a small family business as well, vintage furniture and stuff to pay the bills. But, um, so that's where Malice, that's where Malice came from. I was writing it as a, a hobby and really my only audience was my boys, my wife and me. So um, that's where it started and it just, that's
0: kind of crazy yeah i mean you know you hear you hear different stories from authors of like you know when they began like a lot of a lot of them say oh when i was in elementary school and i wrote this one short story and my teacher was all like oh my gosh it's amazing you should do this you know whatever and then you know then you hear stories about starting a little later in life and some you know some will write in their 20s and 30s and may not even get published until they're 50 or 60 you know, say, so, so it's always really interesting to see where people start and end, uh, when, you know, especially when you publish several books, uh, you know, and, and they're pretty, pretty consistent, uh, cause you, you know, you've been publishing books pretty consistently for, I guess, about a decade now, right?
1: Almost. Yeah. Malice was published in, um, end of 2012. Oh so. <laughs> <laughs> now, yeah. yeah. Um,
0: so yeah, so, um, Kind of kind of branching off of that, um, tell me a little bit about how your writing process has kind of changed over the years. So like since you first started, you said you, you know, you're kind of writing as a hobby since you were at home and you, I mean, did you write fairly slowly? Did you, did, did you, did you have a word count you stuck by when you started out or did it just, I wrote a book and I think I'm going to keep doing this writing thing. So I'm just going to continue to kind of perfect my craft.
1: Do you know I wrote horrifically slowly? It was, um, <laughs> I mean, the thing is with writing, because I, I, I never, I always loved fantasy, um, historical novels and reading, but I never really, I never thought that I had what it takes to, to be a writer. I just didn't, you know, didn't, I just didn't didn't think for a second that I, I would be able to do it. Okay. But um, I, I used to tell stories to my kids at bedtime and, you know, and my wife and, and my wife started off saying, you should try writing a book, give it a go, and I thought, like, don't be stupid. <laughs> That's when it came up as a hobby. You know, I was at home. I think I was having a chat with with my wife Caroline, saying, uh, "Yeah, I could do with just switching my brain into something else at home." She said, "Why don't you try writing?" I said, "Don't be stupid," but I gave it a go. And um, in that in the, that first stage, I handwrote everything. Um, so I. I realised I didn't actually have a clue on how to write. So I, the only way I knew how to write was what I'd learned at, at uni, at university, which was to read, read, and then read some more. That's kind of that was my uh, lecture, my my favourite lecturer's mantra. Um, and um, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, we just started delivery. Hey, <laughs> when you've got several kids, I can only imagine. <laughs> DPD's just knocked on the window. Okay, sorry about that. Um, so I just um, so I handwrote everything. Did loads, loads, and loads of research. I mean, just when I talk about loads, I mean probably years worth of research. I might have been procrastinating the actual writing. I don't know. <laughs> but I handwrote Malice. Uh, it came in at like I don't know, three hundred and fifty thousand words, something crazy. And then to edit it, I handwrote it again and uh, then put it away for a while and had an edit and then submitted that and that i know uh, honestly that process from for book one for Manus took me about five or six years i think from when i thought i'll give this a go to when i um submitted it to my agent and um since then i've i've tried to refine the process <laughs> and make it a little little bit more economical so now obviously i you know, moved on to typing for a start that i mean that made a great difference <laughs> <laughs> i'm sure that made
0: editing a little bit easier too
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly that's right yeah yeah I'm I'm coming... say, go ahead sorry let's keep going.
0: on no, i was just gonna say so you know i guess you had to kind of refine it since you're you know kind of a one book or a year kind of guy now so uh can't really take six years to to handwrite handwrite again to edit it kind it's of sit on it
1: Maybe, maybe submit it. <laughs> yeah, no, no. It, it's, I mean, I've got it down to about – it takes me about four or five months to to write a book now, I think, and then the rest of the year is is taken up with, you know, the editing process because you go through so many edits and copy edits. and. That's pretty impressive because you don't write short books. <laughs> no no i mean they've got a little shorter the first series they're proper doorstoppers second series they're still quite sized, and um the new series is probably in between it's a little bit bigger than that the of blood and Bone series but not as big as um faithful and fallen i got
0: so yeah because uh i mean you could probably hold a house up on of uh, the faithful and fallen books and uh yeah i'm blood and bone and i'm sitting here looking at my copies and they got thicker as the series went on because <laughs> yeah. truth, truth and courage is i guess just about the size of malice or actually Maybe yeah it, it is
1: yeah. i sneaked a big one in <laughs> yeah. you're like i gotta make sure i get everything in <laughs> i thought this should this, sh- this should be two books you know so i squeeze it into one uh, you were going to try to do that
0: whole thing where uh, you know they they had the last say what you know they're making movies about books they always fit the last book into two movies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so tell me a little bit about uh, your process. So do you do you now plot out everything or do you do you just continue just to write as the story comes to you?
1: Okay, so I still kind of have that read, read, and read some more mantra as my core for for any new project. So I'll research something because my books are, I know I'm writing fantasy, but um, I've got kind of one foot in the historical fantasy fiction and the historical world and one foot in fantasy. I love historical, um, I love history and historical fiction. So I tend to try and make my fantasy feel, or I hope, that's my goal anyway, is to try and make it feel like it's historical. You know by by just giving its authentic historical details so the faithful and the fallen was very much inspired by um Caesar's uh Gallic war and Celtic um history and you know the, the kind of Roman takeover of um Western Europe plus angels and demons and John Milton's <laughs> Paradise lost you know so, um, so I always, you know, that, that's always going to be a part of how I write books, is that that initial research. So, for the, the, my new series, the Bloodsworn, I've just spent, I spent um, four or five months just immersed in Norse mythology, uh, Scandinavian history, folk, Scandinavian folklore. You know, that all, all of those elements, and just you just try to soak it up a bit, so that a flavour of that comes out in the writing. As far as the actual book goes, I plot a little bit um you know i hear I often hear people say, "Are you a gardener or an architect?" you know George R. R. Martin famously said, and I think I'm somewhere in between so i'll I'll plot um kind of key events and i'll I'll try and come up with uh, you know a handful of characters that I think will tell that tell those events interestingly. I and mean, then it's a bit like letting horses out of the starting gate you know you you um shoot the gun and pull the gauge, pull the gate and they're off but um after that i just kind of i feel like i'm following them rather than sticking to my narrative you know um so things will happen that i never intended characters will do things that i hadn't thought about uh, you know, it twists and turns w- in the right in the writing of it. It's it's kind of very much a gut feeling as you're as you're doing it for me, but I still try and steer the characters towards the events that I started off with, you know. Yeah.
0: know it almost yeah. it almost kinda of sounds like you're filling in the gaps. You know, you, you yeah. write you write your 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 main events and you're like, Okay, how can I put this person in this event? Well maybe this person will do better, and then but see, I, I've always found it interesting and I've heard several authors say that while they're writing, something happens that you weren't expecting. I, I've always found that really interesting. <laughs> like, how, how does that happen? Because I, I imagine you have to know what you're writing, but like, <laughs> you know, what, what is it that tells you, whoa, what, you know, where did that come from? Like, what, what is, what is, is it a gut feeling? You know, is it just something that pops into your head last minute as you finish a sentence
1: yeah, it's very much just a gut feeling as you're writing scenes. I think for me, I mean, I can only ever, you know, tell you how it works for me. And I, I would never give this out as advice. It's just what works for me. <laughs> but um, w- it's more about the characters. So I think if you, you, when you're writing from a certain point of view and you want the characters to do something, but you might get to the scene and then it just feels out of character for them to do, you know, a certain thing so and they end up doing something else instead and that can you know have ripples in the pond you know that can just open a new pathway of where they're going to go and that's usually how it works for me it's usually based on my gut feeling of is this um, true to the character is this consistent with what they would do in this situation it's obviously it's hard to really nail that down when you're talking about shield walls or, um, being packed by giant bears. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> never Experience, but you try and put yourself in their shoes and just try and imagine how they might be feeling based on their personality as well. You know, so that that's, that's kind of always the, the rudder on the ship for me is, is, is the characters and their, it is what's happening is the way they're reacting to it, authentic to them. I
0: have to, I have to, to start for a second, what you just said reminded me. Uh, so I, I, I read a tweet by Drew Abercrombie this morning. Uh, or he said, people on here trying to lecture me about Bushido will tell you, well, let me tell you, son, I've played about a thousand hours of Shogun Total War, so I speak with huge authority. It kind of reminds <laughs> me of what you said. It's like, I don't quite know how that happens, but I'm going to write it to what I think is, is how it would happen. So if you get attacked by a bear, I think this is how you would feel. <laughs>
1: exactly, yeah. I watch The Revenant, you know.
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I, I saw I saw Leo DiCaprio just get mauled by ones I think I know how it might feel
1: yeah
0: oh my gosh too funny <laughs> um all right so kind of talking about uh your novel so uh who would who would you say were maybe your main influences that that made you want to write The Faithful and Fallen not necessarily the storyline but were like I could write a book or I would I think I would love to try my hand at it I mean besides your wife kind of Getting you, to, getting you to get you get on the horse
1: <laughs> yeah I, I mean that is a kind of a boring answer for me it's probably uh, t- tolkien was the the guy that that was always my guiding star for writing and my passion for fantasy and then the other guys around like david gemmel you know i he, i think legend i, I bought bought and read bought legend when it first came out which is 1980 something and i uh I, it's the first book i've read in a day you know all the way through stayed up half the night to read it um and and he uh, i just found he had this page turning quality that i'd never come across before so he was hugely influential on my writing and bernard cornwell is another guy who I've, i've grown up loving his writing you know his his prose his style so if i could um, hit those spots, you know, something of Tolkien, something of Gemmill, something of Cornwell, then I, I'm a very happy man indeed. Those, those were kind of the, the the influences and and what I always aspire to be. Some course, pretty great
0: influences. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's, I mean, there's so many great writers out now that, that I think are fantastic, you know. So, um And if I was it's hard not to read someone and think, Oh, I love how they do that. You know, I should, I should try and read that. <laughs> it's, it's, you've, got to, you've got to draw the line somewhere, but there's so many writers today that are influential and doing a brilliant, brilliant job.
0: Yeah. Are there, are there any you would say uh, that are writing today or maybe even some of the newer voices in fantasy that you'd say would, would it maybe even influence your work a little bit more?
1: Oh yeah. I mean, um, I, I love Christine Cameron's work. Um, or, or Miles Cameron. Whether you're reading history or fantasy, I, I, I truly adore his writing. I love his prose, um, his characterization. There's some writers that just click with you, um, and, and everything about what how they do it, do the job, just resonates with you. And he's one of those guys. Um, there's uh, um, Charles Christian is another one. Um, RJ Barker, I'm a big fan of love um, rj mark, mark lawrence i think you know is just wonderful prose uh, and a great story it's, yeah the list goes on really
0: yeah yeah i mean it, i mean you're right there's so many out today it's it's crazy it's it's hard to keep up with sometimes yeah.
1: sebastian cassette castell he's another guy who i think is a great writer i've always enjoyed everything he's written um yeah i mean it's <laughs> I'm, at the moment, I'm reading Peter McLean's um, Priest of Bones, and that's great. Oh, so great! Yes, yes. great yeah, I'm,
0: I'm so ready for gallows. Uh, it's <laughs> it, it's taking too long. I, I've, I've I've harped on him since I had him on Mayday Con that uh that he needs to hurry up and finish it up. So, but yeah, it's 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 such a fresh take too. It's it's so you know very Godfather low fantasy. Yeah,
1: um, I'm, I'm a big fan of Peaky Blinders, which I can see in there. It's great. It's,
0: it's so good. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. So, all right, So, let's talk a little bit about your books. So, um, you know, your first, your first series, your four book series, "The Faithful and the Fallen," uh, was followed up by the three book series of "Blood and Bone." So, I need to know what is what is your fascination with angels and demons?
1: <laughs> um, I love uh, Milton's "Paradise Lost." I think I, you know, I, I, I'm not quite sure why, but I grew up loving that. <laughs> I, I just thought it was cool. Um, I mean, there's so much, isn't there? In uh, one, one of the things that I love is, is uh, ancient mythology, you know, and, and it's angels and demons. They're uh, they're, they're central to, to so much of it, you know, um, to uh, European hi- me- history, Euro- European um, medieval mythology. It's just in there. It's just part of it, and so uh, I guess that's where it came from. I guess
0: it's kind of like the great you know battle versus you know good versus evil i guess it you know it kind of it kind of all starts there and then
1: yeah just yeah, yeah yeah absolutely and i um when i was writing i felt like at the, i think grimdark was just happening it was quite the it was the early days um so you had uh jabber scott lynch would were, were debuts back then and and i love both of their writing and i think it's fantastic but when i started writing malice I wanted to write some I was you know, as like I said, I was chiefly writing for my, my um my family, my boys, and I wanted to just somehow write something that um captured that nostalgia that I felt about fantasy, which wasn't Grimdark, you know, it was um it was it was more uh, Tolkien and Gemmell and David Eddings, you know, the Belgariad and that, that kind of more um tropey if you like. Uh, fantasy, but more epic fantasy, but I wanted to write it with my, kind of a contemporary feel. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, back when I started writing, uh, the film Braveheart had just come out. And um, at the time, that was quite groundbreaking. It's a bit like when Saving Private Ryan hit the screens, I think. Um, no one had really seen something quite as brutally honest about war as that, you know, the opening. Ten scenes of Saving Private Ryan, and yeah. Brave, Braveheart was quite similar. Before that, it was all it was all very glorified, you know, shining knights on horses, and to see see something that felt historical and gritty, um, and that you know, dirt under the fingernails kind of approach to seeing something, but still having, you know, a morality in the characters. You know, there there is a sense of good and bad, rather than just all shades of gray that's what i was trying to capture uh, and i think that's exactly you know the angels and the demons kind kind of um symbolize that in in my writing i suppose
0: yeah yeah and and they're not they're not truly good and truly evil which is also which is also a very interesting contrast in your novels cuz you know you you always think of angels as good and demons as bad and you're like ah oh, there's some yeah, there's there's a little bit of both qualities in both sides you know depending on how you read them and and how you how you really look at their takes
1: yeah well no, no, that's right I don't think anyone is all good or all bad we're all we're all a bit of both thrown into the mix and jumbled up and I think I think if there is a a point other than entertainment to those books it's about choices you know that's what I was um I was trying to kind of put put forward to my, my boys that choices, the choices you make in life do make a difference, you know, and they will turn you into the the adult you become. Mm-hmm. You know, when you in your life and you look at the choices you've made, seemingly ins- insignificant at the time, but when you look back, you can see, oh, you know, that choice led to this, led to that, led to yeah, and you can see that you've that you've got to a place based on the choices you've made in your life. And that's really what I, that's, that's at the heart of the faithful and the fallen, you know, that, that choices matter.
0: Yeah. So, so, so would you say that, you know, your books are kind of, or at least, at least, I guess when you started writing Malice, that it was kind of a a story for your, for your sons and for your family that, you know, you wrote it with them in mind and you're like, we're going to talk about, you know, challenges you face and the, The directions you or the paths you choose to take based on those those decisions.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, with giant wolves and <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, let's yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. with the fantasy and <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um. So, what was your what was your inspiration for Corbin? Because uh, he, you know, he's an interesting character. Obviously, a very prolific character uh in the series uh you know not to spoil anything um but you know what what was your inspiration behind his character and and kind of how he grew through the first series
1: i I mean i i I wanted corban to be an everyman you know nothing overly special about him but just someone again who made certain choices that that led him down down the path i didn't want him to, to have you know it any superpowers or special abilities really other than what you get through hard work and making making good choices so um and that was at the heart of Corban, just wanted him to be relatable as as an everyman i think that's one of the things you find in um in a lot of uh, ben Cornwell's books is that his characters are you know they're more they're, they're more they're more um normal They're they're not super gifted or super all-powerful they just there's something that may uh, help them become great but it's more about attitude and heart and you know work ethic maybe <laughs> that kind of thing you know
0: gotcha yeah it's you know it's, it's more of like a determination and yeah. you're, you're, not, you're not gonna let the you know what is the, you're not, you're not going to let things get to you, I guess. I mean, you, you'll you'll stumble, you know, along the way, but eventually,
1: you'll kind of yeah. work your way towards. Yeah, you know, and friends, friends and family are always uh, they were always at the heart of Call Ben as well. Um, you know, my there's something that's very important to me, and I think it's hopefully it comes through in my writing. You know, I, I think family and friendship, are, you know, the, the two of the, the most important things in life, really and um i wanted him to to symbolize that as well that a lot of his choices are based on his family and on his friendship rather than the bigger picture or the greater good or you know um but more more heart decisions um my family we we you know we're very close i, I think with having our daughter my daughter harriet uh, it it, it um, compounds that you know we're all very very close. We spend a lot of time together. Um, so I wanted to put put something of that into into everything I write. But Corban was really the character that epitomized it in Faithful and the Fallen.
0: Yeah, I mean you know he doesn't he doesn't go by his selfish desires or anything. I mean it, it, he's all about everybody else and not really focusing on himself. Uh, and and, 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 and I, I, for one, can feel that coming through your, your books about the whole family relationship right. and so forth. I mean, it's, it's pretty easy to see it, uh, and, and, and honestly, it's great. I don't, I don't know that I've read another series that really has that kind of focus, uh, especially like a fantasy series. I mean, you see, uh, you know, mercenary groups or camps or, or uh, you know, most of the time it's swords for hire uh, or, you know, you've got a couple of people, but they don't really have a great relationship and eventually they end up having one. You don't really see it at the very beginning and then it continues to blossom.
1: Well, I'm, I'm, I'm glad it's come across to you, David. No, that's great to hear. That's really great. Well, I mean, I, I mean, I kind of I grew up with two
0: sisters and my, my family was always pretty close to So Maybe, maybe yeah. that helps. I don't know. <laughs> Um, all right, so can you tell me the story behind the uh, the words "truth and courage," the the motto, I guess you can say. What inspired that?
1: Yeah, sure. I mean, uh, uh, to be honest, I was watching um, Gladiator, you know, and he, he, he his motto is, is strength and honor, and, uh, and I thought that's cool. And this was at the time when I was doing my five years of research. <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> So I, I thought, yeah, that's cool. Maybe I could have something like that, you know, in in um, in Malice. But I thought, you know, obviously I, I wouldn't use the same phrase. And I thought, what what two things really sum up what I was saying about Corbin, you know, and his character? And I think, and it, and it just came up with truth and courage. Thinking those were the two qualities that I wanted to be at the heart of that character. Um, you know, not that he's a goody goody um saint you know he made made a lot of mistakes but he did learn i think that truth tended to be the better route and um and the, and he learned the value of courage you know standing up for what he believed was right so that 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 became his motto initially and i i mean it's just become kind of the central mantra of the whole series now or both series um i didn't expect that at all you know that's a that's a good example of those things that just they just kind of happen or grow or change in the writing
0: yeah um so so you just wrapped up your seventh and i can only assume the final novel in the banished lands called a time of courage so it's the third book in your blood uh, of blood and bone trilogy uh so how do you how does it feel writing the end on something you've been working for for the better part of a decade
1: oh crikey that i mean that was crazy (laughs) 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 <laughs> <laughs> it was sur- surreal really um I mean it was it was quite a hard book to write because we've um i we've spent a really rough time in hospital with my daughter um when I was supposed to be writing the book uh, she got she got very ill Harriet with um, pneumonia and double pneumonia and things were a touch and go for a long time and um, because Harriet's disabled my wife and I we don't you know we don't Leave her in hospital. We we stay with her twenty, literally twenty four seven. We had camp beds, uh, or camp bed and chairs in her in her hospital room. You know, we we took it in shifts. One of us would go and buy coffees, and the other, you know, how it was never left. And we were there for I don't know six weeks, ten weeks, something. Yes. Yeah, it's a long time, and it was a really dark time. And and when we got home, which uh, I mean, you know, thank God, it's amazing. Um, but I was exhausted, you know, so, and then I came out and I was behind on, on the deadline for, um, a time of courage, but my publishers were brilliant. My agent was brilliant. And it just gave me, you know, the extra time I needed. I just, just got stuck in. So it was, it was a, it was a double whammy really, because obviously we've been through that rough times and, but also it was the last book, which felt strange. Yes. Do you know, for um, the seventh book of, of eight years living in in that world in my head. So it's yeah, it was, I mean, it was weird. I was just, I just, I just wanted it to um, feel like a suitable ending. That was the most important thing to me. That it f- that it felt like a satisfying end to all that had gone before. Um, that was really important to me. I was worried that that it wouldn't. You know? <laughs> <So>. <laughs> waiting waiting
0: for a cliffhanger or something and you're just like oh crap what how how could i have changed
1: that <laughs> yeah I, mean, I, I always think of um kind of the the lord of the rings films as a as a great template for for writing a, a building arc for, um, for a storyline you know for the, where it starts off nice in the shire then book 1 ends with amon hen which is you know a, a kind of a, a large skirmish and then book 2 ends with Something bigger, like as in the, the film ended with Helms Deep, and then Book Three is the Pelennor Fields and the Black Gates. You know, so each each film had a, a an arc, but it always ended bigger, and that's yeah. that's what I was aiming for with um with A Time of Courage. But when you've written a battle scene that's like a hundred pages long in Wrath, it, you, know, you think, oh, quaky, how am I going to top that? <laughs> I just gave it my best shot and hopefully it came out all right.
0: Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. my goodness. So do you, do you ever, I mean, it's probably hard to say now, but do you ever plan on venturing back in, maybe from a different point of view or from a different period?
1: Yes, is the short answer. Yeah, it's on my mind um, all the time. Yeah, my, you know, I spent a lot of time in the Banished Lands. So I'd love to go back there i've i have written you know five or six short stories over the years that have been in various anthologies and they're all based in the banished lands from various characters and um i've been chatting to my agent about that and there's a possibility that i'll hopefully i'll I'll, if i can find the time that's that's really the main thing that i'll i'll um manage to put out a few more short stories that could could turn into an anthology you know banished lands short stories that might might tie into an over overriding kind of narrative. Um, maybe, maybe some time spent in the uh, in that time period between the faithful and the fallen and of blood and bone, because is like a 130 year gap. So yeah, um, I might put something in there I'd like, I'd really like to, um, uh, maybe even write a novella or a standalone set in that period. And then I'm also thinking about what could happen after, because really I view the banished lands as kind of an ancient mythological Europe, so we've had um, kind of the Celtic Romano-British period with the Faithful and the Fallen, and then Blood and Bone felt a little bit more kind of um, early medieval Dark Ages Europe to me, and so the natural progression would be to write something that's maybe a bit more medieval down the line but they're just ideas at the moment and <laughs> i don't want to get too carried away with them they're just they're just little like little kind of seeds that are germinating because i really my head's in um in the blood swan saga at the moment with those guys um really enjoying writing that so that's
0: awesome
1: yeah yeah i hope, I hope so <laughs>
0: <laughs> so so i guess uh you know you would try to do a, an anthology kind of like Lawrence did with Red Brothers, you know, he, he wrote all these different little short stories in the Empire, uh, yeah. Empire series.
1: Yeah yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. I, and I, I think it just comes down to time. If I can find the time to do it, um, then we'll take it from there.
0: Yeah, and, uh, time's hard to come by, for sure. <laughs> I, can, I can only imagine how much more difficult it is for you. So.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's it's crazy all the time. I don't really have a writing routine in, in terms of, kind of a daily structure because family life just doesn't allow that really it's all you know because my daughter has a lot of appointments and they're you know they're all always all over the place so i can't really be regimented like that so i just squeeze it in when i can yeah Um, so it's hard to predict you know when i can do what i'll just try and get it done
0: it's pretty fascinating that you can write a book in five to six months with the kind of routine and schedule you've got. I mean, I, I can't imagine. I mean, just trying to find the time to write, especially again, well, there's how big a books do you write? <laughs> the fact that you're able to find the time to get those, that many words down and edited and sent out. I mean, it's just, it's impressive.
1: I, I think one of the things that helped me is um, I don't know if I should be telling you this really, because I might get in trouble <laughs> with my agent, but um, I don't, I don't read my books back you know, I just write them, and usually I'm writing at the last hour of the deadline and for I'm handing it in, and then I'll click send. Um, I'll
0: have to edit that out so your agent doesn't see it. <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. yeah. Goodness gracious. All right, so you you mentioned uh, the Bloodsworn Saga. So uh, first book, The Dragon Unchained, releases in April of 2021. Can you tell us a little bit about your newest series, how it differs from the many adventures in the Banished Lands, and if we'll have any more cheeky crows?
1: Sure. Uh, <laughs> okay. Um, the title is a working title, by the way, which has changed. Ah. I, but I, I don't, I, I'm waiting for the final green light on the new title, so I don't uh, – I think I'll get in a lot of trouble if I say it now, but but I, I think it's great anyway. Hopefully, um, we'll I'll be able to let you know in the next couple of weeks what the new what the official title is. Okay. Um, the series is going to be called the Bloodsworn Saga. That's not going to change. Um, <laughs> so it's a- so other-
0: otherwise, my intro was just way off. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> but, um, so yeah, so book one of the Blood, Blood Sword Saga, it's about, the whole series is a trilogy. It's hugely inspired by um, Norse mythology, and there's always been a bit of that in my writing. But this is, um, this is really Norse, you know, it's inspired by uh Beowulf and uh Ragnarok, you know, the final battle of the gods. Those are the two kind of core. Inspirations for, for this series, and um, my idea was, you know, what happened after Ragnarok when all the gods were dead, and there's this beautiful little line in um in the in the uh, poetic Edda, um, which is old Scandinavian um, stories and tales. Uh, it's a collection of mythology, really, um, and it's uh, it's about uh the dragon that lives beneath in the uh chambers beneath um yggdrasil breaking free and so that you can put two and two together and see where the the title the dragon unchained kind of was inspired from so that was kind of my starting point what would what would um the north world have been like after ragnarok and um, uh so I, I mean, it's it's not a, a it's not like a Neil, Neil Gaiman mythology book where you've got Thor and Loki and Odin in it. It's it's more like The Faithful and the Fallen, where it, that was inspired by Celtic mythology. Um, this and you know this is kind of the same thing as it's inspired by Norse mythology, but it's um you know it's it's not slavishly written about the Norse mythological characters. So you've got. Mercenary bands um, well, I'm, I'm just thinking what I can tell you without being spoiled so, what's the-, <laughs> so um, the gods left behind the gods are, I, I imagined the, the 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 gods in this story is a bit like the Greek gods where they were very happy to mingle with humankind and procreate and so the blood of the gods was was kind of filtered through a lot of humankind and um, in this new world those people are hunted uh, because they have attributes of the gods they were um side by so you know i've i've got a wolf and an eagle and a bear and um other various norse type animals and a dragon and a serpent and they and the folks and they and so so the the um the human offspring have Kind of qualities from their uh, their parents' lineage. So, for example, um, I've worked in berserkers, and these these guys were descended from the bear god, and they've got um, his blood in them, and they and and uh, they can become quite unpleasant in a scrap. Um, <laughs> let's put it that way they, you know, <laughs> they, they can display the, all of them display the characteristics of their lineage so you know you can uh, you can have a lot of fun with that i think you know so you've got you know the, the kind of the wolf um bloodline the bear bloodline the serpent bloodline uh but these all of these people are hunted now the gods are hated in this new world because they Kind of brought about almost total destruction, and so anything of the gods is despised and hunted out to um, to destroy. Uh, except that these new bloodlines, it's been discovered that they can be enslaved, so they're often they're used. Um, so you'll you'll get a yarl who's trying to become more powerful and he'll capture and enslave you know a, a handful of berserkers and then use them. In his conquest over his neighbouring Yarl's kingdom, uh, and then you you know you you'll have uh, there's scouts that are kind of wolf have wolf blood in them, and you know, I hope you get the idea. That's the kind of kind of world that that the Bloodsworn is about. So there's mercenary bands, and the Bloodsworn are one of these mercenary bands that hunt. Well, they hunt the relics of the gods because God's um anything left behind by them from this kind of cataclysmic battle and uh, and they also hunt the bloodlines to enslave and sell to jarls um kings or queens or earls. and that's kind of the the broad brushstrokes of the world, and and you know hopefully um. You're like some of the characters that that, uh, that populate this world, and they are going to be. <laughs> John!
0: It's 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 only August. I should have waited to do this chat because now I want to read it like right now.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, that's great to hear. I mean, i have loving it. <laughs> it, it. It feels like playing in a new sandbox, you know. Um, yeah. After, after the Banished Land. so I, I was. It was a bit daunting at first. I felt like it was time to move away from the Banished Lands. Even if I do go back, I just wanted a you know a change from that world, um, to freshen up. And it's you know it's just been so much fun write, writing book one, and I'm in, in the middle of book two at the moment. It's been a lot of fun. you, um, mean you, don't,
0: you don't want to pull a Salvatore and write like thirty-five books in the same world. <laughs> <laughs> All about all about Drist.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, that's not me.
0: Uh you probably could though. I'm sure you could write. Maybe we'll say 30 books. Yeah, yeah, <laughs>
1: 25, yeah.
0: Yeah, there we go. Yeah. We'll 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 we we'll numb it down a little
1: bit.
0: Yeah. Um so uh last question. Well, not really last question, but last like question, I guess that kind of is very book related, especially your books. How, um, how would your enjoyment and participation in uh, a Viking reenactments, maybe help in your newest series?
1: Oh, it, um, it, it's, uh, it would be a different book without my reenactment. I think, you know, um, I mean, I, I love history and I love reenacting for the fun of it, but hopefully it gives a flavor to my writing as well, you know, just those little authentic details that you wouldn't even think of um, if you weren't doing it doesn't make me a better writer, but I just think that the um, uh, just just the the flavour and the tone and the details maybe hopefully smack of authenticity. Um, you know, for example, uh, in reenactment. I mean, the first time I went to uh, to my the Viking group that we train with you know they they gave me a shield and a helmet and a spear and within 10 minutes my shoulder was numb from holding the shield up you know you, just, you don't you just can't understand all how your body will react to to um all these demands put on it you know standing in front even though it's completely safe, you know it's safe. We're not going to be uh, in risk of, of at risk of being hacked to pieces by a berserker, but um, <laughs> but you stand in the line for you know for, we had um, our spear um, warrior trial, which sounds really cool. But basically, it's checking your health and safety for going on the field for um, kind of events. You know, but it is still good fun. And one of the things you had to do is stand in a shield wall and be shot at with arrows. Now they're blunted arrows um for reenactment, but you still you have to stand there and just that feeling of knowing that these guys are aiming at you you know it just gives you a sense of just a, a little inkling of what it might might have been like to face people that are standing there trying to put you know sharp steel in your body it's not a nice feeling yeah, I could imagine <laughs> or, or gloves, for example, but you wear gloves um and and But you have to put them on last because if you if you put your belt on and put your helmet on, you buckle your helmet up. You can't do that with your when you've got your um your safety your gloves on. If you've got kind of hardback leather gloves, you're just too clumsy to with buckles. So you know it's little details like that that um, hopefully filter through into the writing as well. It's I call it research. But. I, I have to,
0: I have to know what is it, what is it like being in a shield wall because I've only seen reenactments, you know, like on Vikings and the Last Kingdom. But what is it like actually being in the shield wall?
1: Oh, it's a crazy feeling, and I, I mean, I love it even more because my my three sons do it with me. So we're you know we we always stand together. And it's just a, an amazing feeling when you know you're you're clashing your spear on your shield and and just um. Taunting you en- anything—it's <laughs> <enemy>. <really laughs> fun. It's a great feeling. It's you know, it's being a big kid. Really, that's what, that's what it is. I
0: have to know. Do you do you all shout truth and courage when you uh when you when yeah. you when you bang your spears against your shields?
1: Yeah, it has been known. We get some funny looks by the other Vikings on the field. But, yeah. <laughs> it's still it's like, so what, what are they on about? <laughs> yeah, I know, everyone else is shouting Odin. <laughs>
0: Oh my gosh! Oh. So, all right. Last question I got for you, uh, and it kind of goes back to your your influences. Um, are there any? Because I know I know you have all the time in the world, John. Um, are there yeah. any books you've read recently that maybe you would recommend to the audience?
1: Oh crikey! Yep. Okay. Um. I mean, uh, last book I was really blown away by was um, Devin Madison's "We Ride the Storm." Um. I read that earlier this year and that that I thought that was just fantastic really love to take on that again doing it I mean it's doing really well what I try to do which is mixing um fantasy with history you know and there's a really strong sense of the Mongol horde in there um with Chinese history but, and but that magical mythical fantastical feel as well so I love that you yeah, that, that was fantastic. Oh, so good! Yeah, yeah. I guess you've read that as well, David. Yeah, I.
0: Uh, so I actually read it like right after we had our daughter. So like I, I just like binged it during naps, and <laughs> it's fantastic.
1: I, yeah, I, yeah. I, I really loved it. Yeah, so good, so good. Um, last year, I read uh, the Bone Ships by RJ Barker, which again I thought was fantastic. I haven't read his first series, but I really loved the Bone Ships. Oh. It was terrific.
0: Yeah, I'd recommend The Winded Kingdom if you get a chance. Uh Gerton Clubfoot is probably one of my favorite characters ever created. And I actually uh I've got uh RJ coming on uh on here in like 14 days. I've got him coming on the 16th, so you'll have to tune into that. I'm really interested to talk to him. He's very he's a very interesting character. I, I love chatting with him though, and, and I had him on during one of my conventions and uh He's he's a hoot (laughs) and he also writes some really great books.
1: Yeah. I've not met him in person, but we've chatted a few times and he seems like a really lovely guy.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I'd recommend the bone chips. Uh, definitely rerun the storm. Um, my gosh, there's, if I feel like anything orbit puts out, you should just probably go ahead and put on your TBR. I mean, it's, uh, that (laughs) they, I don't think they, they, they have not had many misses if they've even had one. So, uh, and uh, and you 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 definitely landed with a really good publisher when you when you started publishing. So. Yeah, I'm
1: very grateful for that. I'm really grateful.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, well, John, I, I appreciate you taking the time out of your family day, out of your Sunday, to come chat with me uh, about your novels, about your upcoming series coming out next April, or at least the beginning of it coming out next April, um, and to talk about Viking reenactments. Uh, I'm really jealous. I, 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 you know, follow you on social media, on Twitter, and, and on Instagram, and see, you know, your photos of your your new equipment, or do you call
1: it equipment? I feel like I, I'm going to No, I've got, I bought some. I've got something here. I've just, I've just had this made. It's uh, only arrived about a week ago. So I'll show it to you. Oh man!
0: Yeah. All right. You got to put it on now.
1: You got to, put it yeah. on right,
0: exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's it's show and tell time. You got you got to you got to show it. and tell. You know.
1: So this <laughs> is like this is a now binding cap. So this is um this was knitted with one needle. It's an old Norse style version of knitting. So I use them as my undercap. And See, this- I,
0: couldn't, I couldn't even get Miles Cameron to do this. So you're you're the first. Fantastic. <laughs> awesome. Man, so you had that made. How
1: long did it take to make that? Oh, well, this came from um, some guys in Russia, actually, called and Armory or Kovetan Armourers, um, and it's taken, taken a while. I ordered it before Christmas, um, oh. but obviously with um, – Coronavirus uh, and the state of the world. It's taken a bit longer to get here, but, uh, it's, it's my new favorite toy at the moment
0: <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine that's, a, that's amazing.
1: Yeah. yeah I, I love,
0: I love seeing whatever, whatever new stuff you get. Uh, I'm always interested, uh, when it comes to Instagram, you and your sons posting your, your new, your pieces.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It, it is. I mean, it's just show and tell being big kids. <laughs> This is um, Drem's, this is the Sa- sayaxe that um, inspired the weapon that Drem has in Of Blood and Bone. I don't know if you can see it properly.
0: But is that the one that's on? Uh, yeah,
1: that's it's on, on the, the, segment, cover, right? Right? Of the Time yeah. of Blood. Yeah. That's it. There. So it's a b- very big knife, basically. Yeah, a bit. <laughs> <laughs>
0: awesome well thanks for showing off i like show and tell i'm gonna start having everybody has to do a little bit of show and tell at the end of these
1: yeah Yeah, i mean next time please david bring along your own viking wares i have to get some first
0: (laughs) i have i have like no weapons at all and i sit here and read fantasy and i see everybody posting pictures of books with knives and swords and daggers and all kinds of stuff and i'm like
1: I've gotta get my hands on something. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, this is disappointing, David. I think I'm really I really think you need to join the club. I know,
0: right? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I tell everybody there's all these series that I haven't read and they go, Why do you call yourself a blogger or reviewer or whatever? <laughs> I'm like, I came in late, okay? You know, I, I I came in late to reading, like John came in late to writing. So
1: yeah, with, that's with the balance
0: enough. out that way. <laughs> <Absolutely>. <laughs> <laughs> well, John, uh, you enjoy the rest of your sunday enjoy your week next week hope uh you and the family are doing well staying safe and uh we're looking forward to blood Sworn saga in april of next year
1: thanks david it's great talking Absolutely. to you buddy. thank hey, you, you as well yeah thanks Absolutely. a lot we'll have to do this again sorry we'll have to do this again <laughs> yeah